God is good. And all the time? You know, it's funny because we're always crying out to the Lord, Lord, help us, help us. Help us get through this, help us do this, help us do that. And, and it isn't until we're at the end of our rope that God says, all right, you ready? How many of you have had that, that moment where God says, God, you ready? You ready? Because God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. You know, he always provides for this church good word. The whole word. Nothing but the word. And he is always going to be faithful. Amen. And today we are blessed to have a man that I, I, I look up to him. I remember the first time he came out and, and he was preaching on a Sunday night. <gasps> that was a long time ago. <laughs> It was on a Sunday night, and he was talking about how he was taking out uh, some friends and going on a bike ride. I'm like, dear God, it, it's, it's, I, 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 almost, I break a sweat when I'm dry, walking from my house to the car, and he's going on a bike ride. This man, got, he must be holding on to God real good. So uh, without further ado, Brother Ed Trenner, bring us God's word. <clears throat> Well, I'm, uh, I'm pleased to be with you this morning. The, uh, what I want to, to bring is a text uh, from Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Um, uh, among the things I've uh, accumulated in life are just uh, some nuggets out of the scriptures that have been my guiding points. Uh, they're, they're like my tent uh, pegs that are holding me down and keep me in place and move me along. And this is one of them. And uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Uh, I got an echo here. Is that, uh, you, you okay there? Is there something I've done with what I'm doing? Okay. All right. But uh, I remember uh, memorizing this at one point in time in King James, Guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. But uh, the picture here is that... Uh, uh, key in all of the things that happen in our life is where our heart's at. And particularly as we would, would think in terms of what do we choose to do by faith, what do we choose to do in the presence of God or in awareness of God. And, and God connects with us through our heart. Um, he certainly uh, says things and, and moves things in our brain and we process thought and that's there, but what comes out of our life comes out of our heart, and that's what Scripture teaches and uh, I want to spend just a little bit of time this morning, particularly looking at uh, three biblical uh, heroes and uh, the place of their heart in uh, the things that transpired in their life. And I'm looking at Abraham, David, and Peter. Those were my three choices. I had a whole pile I could have chosen from, but I chose those three just to uh, walk with you with uh, just a bit here this morning. The uh, Abraham, uh, we start with him. I, has carried the title Father of Faith. And, and in preparing for this this morning, I discovered there's a whole lot of phrases that are just common, and I've always regarded them as Scripture. But <clears throat> I couldn't find any place that statement in Scripture that Abraham is called the Father of Faith. Now, I've got a whole pile of Scriptures that would indicate that uh, he is indeed like a father in his image and nurture of faith in the life of a person and God's respect for his faith. And what that faith means to us is an example, even in our coming to Christ. But uh, Abraham, father of faith, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, in the chapter of uh, all the heroes of faith, uh, Abraham is listed. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by, by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I've often appealed to this verse when people think I'm a little wiggy in how I plan and do things. It'll all come together. It's, I love that show. I love it when a plan comes together. You know what I'm talking about. But the, uh, uh, here's Abraham, God, and I don't know the connection here. How did God, how did Abraham hear God? But the scripture tells us that God told Abraham, I have a place I want you to go to, and there I have a land there that's an inheritance that's yours. I'm giving to you. Just go. Pack up. 
Leave your family, leave the, the, all your goods, all this stuff, just, just go. Uh, Abraham didn't do real well with that idea, but uh, he did go. And um, a map of the journey that he took, he started uh, down in the land of Ur, which would be in the vicinity of the today, the nation of Kuwait, and traveled up the Euphrates River, uh, up past what, uh, not far from what is uh, uh, Baghdad today, but uh, moving on up north into Syria and then dropping back down uh, uh, where the, the Euphrates uh, takes a, a, a head north. He headed south at that point down into the land of what we know today as Israel. And that whole travel, I, I googled it just for kicks. It's uh, just a little over 1,500 miles that he traveled. Now, by Google, that would have meant by road. And you know he was off trail. I didn't have those kind of roads. But um, in the ballpark, in about 1,500 miles is what he traveled from the land of Ur to the land of uh, Canaan. And... Uh, and if you need some perspective on that, that's approximately the distance from Tijuana to Vancouver, British Columbia. Now, he didn't have a plane. He didn't have a car. He didn't have a truck. Um, he may have ridden a, a camel. Uh, he could have ridden a donkey. Or, but it doesn't say how he just that he traveled. But he had, he had flocks and, and sheep and herds and stuff that he was taking with him. So I'm assuming that he, he traveled on foot a part of that at least. But. That's the distance he traveled. And he did this by faith. I don't know how you would do that if uh, you sensed in your heart that God wanted you to pack up and go someplace, but you weren't quite sure where that was. Now, I don't know what your relatives would do. I don't know what your spouse would do. I don't know what your kids would do if you delivered that kind of message when you went home. (laughs) But Abraham had a deep Conviction that God wanted him to go and Abraham wanted to be responsive and he went and I know that he wanted to be responsive because of things that came out of his life to follow. It's part of his character. But here's Abraham, Um, Abraham, the father of faith, Um, and he went with a call from God and God gave uh, uh, Abraham a promise with that. He said to Abraham, and I will make you a great nation. And will bless you and make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I don't know how you'd handle that kind of statement. Having a sense that it came from God. Um, That could either blow your eagle clean off the planet or leaving in a pretty humble spot, how in the world are you going to do that? Knowing that Abraham, at the time when he got this message from God, is the same age that I am. And I'm going, babe, I don't know how you would take that if I came and just said, I just, I really deeply sense that God wants us to, to leave everything and, and go. And we're going to go uh, north, south, we're going someplace. And I'm really not sure the destination. And by now, after 50 years with me, that probably shouldn't matter because that's how we do our vacations. (laughs) I know you like to know where we're going. But here's Abraham. And somehow what's going to happen in this land is that there's going to be a nation of people that come out of me. And I guess that pretty much means I'm going to have a lot of kids. I'm 75 now and I got Sarah, my wife, and we haven't been able to produce any kids. This is going to be interesting. How are you going to do this, God? But Abraham went. And he embraced the promise of God in spite of the reasoning that didn't make any sense. I think maybe that's probably why he's called the father of faith. He's walked the path in front of us. He knows what those concerns are that surface in us. But we look for things to make sense and they don't. Well, Abraham, in uh, a passage through Romans, I'm going to read you a few verses here. It goes out of this Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. Um, In hope against hope, he, Abraham, believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. 
Um, Hope against hope. Paul wrote it out in those kind of words. Hope against hope. Abraham went. According to the promise he had received. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. I'm not 100 years old. He was 75 here. Well, at 100 years old, he still did not have a child. Uh, Well, he had a child at that point, but uh, not the promised son. And he was 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, considering these things. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. I don't know what kind of things are going on in your heart, your life, your family. Things that just got to happen, but you don't see a way for them to happen. Maybe some relationship issues in your in your family. It could be uh, work-related kind of thing. It could be just your financial status. It could be your health situation. There's just things. There could be kids in the family and, and your concern for them. It could be a whole lot of different things in your life. That things have just got to change. Something new's got to come. There's got to be something to happen. And I just don't know how it's going to do. How how that can be. Can you hang on to the faith that God is with you and God is good all the time? Can you put that into practice in the daily life and when things get anxious inside your heart? Can you relax in your heart with that God's got it? It's okay. Now, when I get home, Carla's going to remind me of all the things I've just got through saying. Because I'm one of those who constantly needs to be reminded. I, uh, I'm pretty strongly driven. And... Uh, and somehow I think that if I can think it, I can do it. And with that mentality, you can walk off without God, too. And I've learned enough in life that walking off without God doesn't produce anything except a lot of work. But what's productive in one's life, what's good in one's life, is what God does in you and through you. Abraham understood that. He trusted God. And we find that, uh, that God did, in fact, provide uh, the promised son, uh, the one that they named Isaac, when uh, when Abraham was 100 years old. And then, having now this promised son who is going to be the beginning of generations that will become a nation that will, all the world, the people of the world will be blessed through this, these people that are going to come out of me. Isaac is my hope. He's the one. God then comes to Abraham, who Abraham's used to hearing from God, obviously, by this point. And uh, God said, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And God said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering On one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now that doesn't make any sense at all. Not in my head. Um, I don't know about the son thing. We raised three daughters. I'm pleased with that, by the way. I did the best I could to make sons out of them. (laughs) They're 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 beautiful. They're intelligent. uh, They're fun. They're active. They're alive. they're women, but don't play football with them. They'll hurt you. <laughs> but I, uh, I just, I, I have reflected on that before. Uh, on this, what God asked Abraham to do. And I said, you know, and whatever that sacrifice might be here, it was a tangible kill. Your, kill your one. The one I gave you is a promise. Go kill him. Um, uh, I'm not going to play with the, the morality of that. And it, I just think that was a, a statement that God asked of Abraham. And Abraham went and took Isaac and was about to slay him as a sacrifice. And God said, stop and provided a lamb, a ram that was in the in the thickets as a substitute. 
for his son Isaac. It was a picture of Jesus. Uh, God providing Jesus as a substitute for us. We deserve to die, but the lamb took it. Jesus took the death for us. That's the picture in that whole story there with Abraham. But Abraham was willing to be obedient even to that point. That took a lot of faith on his part that God would provide. And God called that place, God will provide. In Hebrews chapter 11, back in the faith chapter, it says, uh, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. The picture of Jesus. James recorded a, a, this kind of a statement concerning this. The scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. <clears throat> and he was called the friend of God. Now, I don't know if you'd like to wear those labels through life that um, you're the father of faith and that you're a friend of God. But those were the labels that went with Abraham. The second man I wanted to look at here with you was David. Uh, David... Um, uh, a young boy, uh, family with uh, brothers uh, around him, but uh, uh, David was the youngest, and he tended the sheep. He took care of the sheep out uh, in the vicinity of Bethlehem, which is about five miles south of uh, Jerusalem in the hills. And uh, he was raising sheep that were going to be offered in sacrifice at the temple. That was David's job, and uh, and to protect those sheep. And so... <clears throat> uh, at a time when, when David was in his uh, early teen years, um, there was a king, King Saul. And uh, he had uh, been disobedient to God on numerous occasions, and God said he was going to remove him from the position of king, and that he was going to anoint a new king. And Samuel, who was the prophet at the time, was the one who was charged by God to find the person who would replace Saul, and that God had already chosen him. And... Um, so it, it, it says in First Samuel chapter 16, now the Lord said to Samuel, uh, fill your horn with oil. And by horn, that's uh, like a ram's horn. It's hollow and, you know, they do it out and you can put liquid in it. And you can drink from it. It's kind of like a flask kind of thing. Well, they put oil in that and they poured the oil as an anointing in ceremonies. And so he said, fill the horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the, uh, the guy from Bethlehem. For I have selected a king for myself from among his sons. And so that's pretty specific. And so, um, so Samuel heads down south to, uh, to Bethlehem, to, the, to uh, the place with Jesse and with his sons. And there's one son that really stood out because he was tall and athletic and he looked intelligent. And he's a really attractive uh, young man. Uh, <clears throat> And, uh, and Samuel was about to go to him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God does not for God sees not as a man sees for man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. And so for all the, the trappings you can put onto your life, all the pedigree that you can create for yourself, all of the resume that you can produce, that sometimes will open a door, but it won't keep you in a place. What will keep you in a place and what will keep you productive is because you have the stuff to deliver. There's something in you, in heart and life, that is attractive, that keeps and wants an employer to keep you. And uh, But here we are in a situation with uh, Samuel wants to anoint a new king, and he's got this good-looking guy who he's going to pick, and uh, God says, no, I want the one who has the heart that's right with me. And so the Lord said, arise, Samuel, anoint him, for this is he. And he was looking at David, the youngest of the son, the runt. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers at their chagrin. Uh, They didn't like that at all. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And so we have David, uh, a young man who was faithful in taking care of the sheep, 
um, serving his household, his, uh, his father, his family well, and serving God, and doing that with a heart and a sense that he was providing sacrifices for the temple. And he was faithful in it. And the Spirit of the Lord worked mightily in him because he had a heart that could receive God. 1 Samuel chapter 17, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Now, the him in this, in this passage is Goliath, the giant from the Philistines. Um, he's, uh, what, three feet, eight feet. He's about this tall. Uh, you get a little idea of uh, this guy's a little pretty good sized guy from the floor. And, uh, and he's coming out after uh, he's taunting all of the armies of Israel come against me and uh, all of the armies of the, uh, the Philistines. And uh, he's gathered out there making all kinds of statements against the God of Israel. And David, little David, still a teen, said to Saul, the king, let no man's heart fail on account of him, Goliath, your servant speaking of himself, will go and fight this Philistine. Now, I don't... Now you sent your kids out here right now, but I don't know if you've got a, you got a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, maybe 14, maybe be the oldest he would have been at that point in time. Would, would you let your kid go out there and face this big giant? Or to shame himself and the family, making statements as boisterous as this, that, uh, that, hey, King Saul, don't you worry, I got it covered. This 14-year-old kid, two armies against each other and this giant out there in the valley. Well, this is the picture of David being out in that context. And... Uh, So he says to to Saul, uh, don't let your heart fail on account of him. I'm going to go out and take care of this. Then Saul said, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth. While he's been a warrior from his youth. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't laugh him off. His brothers had. But uh, Saul kept listening to him. And Saul eventually said, "Okay, go. You sound like you're trusting God. Maybe God will do something because we can't do it. The armies of the Philistines are bigger than us. And so it says in 1 Samuel 17:40 that David took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch. And in his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. So he's got a sling and five rocks and he's going against this Philistine. And he said, then David said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. I, just, I, I can't even begin to, to role play this out for you. I just, this is a. You, you come to me with your sword and your spear. I'm just, I don't know what a kid sounds like. A 14-year-old kid out here, and he's mocking this giant and saying these kinds of things to him. You come with this. But he says this, I'm coming in the name of God, the God of Israel. I'm not coming with my stones and my sling. God is the one who's going to take you down. And see, that's the father of faith that I'm talking about here in Abraham or in David, that he trusted that God would do what God can do. And God's name was at stake. And he trusted God would take care of that. And so he was willing to go out with what he did have. And there's sometimes I ask the question, are we willing to step out with what we do have and see what God will do with it? There's something going on in Boyle Heights today because someone did that. You understand those things. So here's David. And what happened? He walks up, he takes a sling, puts a rock in the center of his forehead and kills him. 
drops him dead, cuts off his head. Uh, and so you see what uh, the mighty king who was to come. And then there were a lot of years in which uh, he served Saul um, as a musician, soothing his uh, demented spirit. And, uh, and he also led and became, proved himself to be a warrior in a time when he had an army that was with him. Uh, it's recorded in Second Samuel chapter 2. David brought up his men who were with him, each with his household, and they lived in the cities of Hebron, which is south of Bethlehem, south of Jerusalem. Then the men of Judah, which is the whole region south, including Jerusalem, but in the south that belonged to the tribe of Judah, um, the men of Judah came and there anointed David king over the house of Judah. And he reigned there as king for seven years. And then... Um, the people from the land of Israel, because it was a divided kingdom at that point. And the Lord said, uh, the Lord said to you, they saying to David, the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will be the ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. And they anointed him David king over Israel. And this was at the age of 30 David is now king over Judah and Israel. There's now a united kingdom under David. You get an idea of the extent of his kingdom in the map that uh, uh, you see coming up here. The, uh, the dark red is the land of uh, Israel where he ruled in hand. And the uh, kind of orangey red that extends up and then the yellow that extends out. Uh, his people, uh, David's people, ruled on all of that land, controlled all of that land. And it was the land originally that was given to Abraham. Uh, it was the land that David had fulfilled, fulfilled and claimed in the name of God. And the uh, uh, so here he was to divide the kingdom. And then it, I'm going to look at First uh, Samuel chapter 13. When, when Samuel was charged to go find a replacement for Saul, um, Samuel said to Saul, The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So the prophet went to the king in place, Saul, and said, you're done. And God has chosen another. And he's one. Uh, he's one whose heart is after God. And he was describing David. And that follows a, 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 a title that's been given to David, a man after God's own heart. And then there's Peter. I'll watch myself here. I'm enjoying myself too much, I think. Uh, Peter uh, was among, is listed as the uh, first among the disciples, the 12 disciples that followed Jesus. Uh, you find there in Matthew 10, a listing of the disciples. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon. Uh, Simon was the first that was called, although Andrew, his brother, is the one who brought him to Jesus. But he's listed as the one who was first among the disciples. He was also first in the sense that uh, Peter, James, and John, the three are the ones that accompanied Jesus and a lot of the special events and things that took place in the story in the life of Jesus. And, um, and we find that uh, when, remember, there was the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee and there was a big storm and Jesus was walking across the water toward them. You've heard the story before, uh, but it's recorded in Matthew 14. And Peter said to, to Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind... He, Peter, became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I use this as an example only to say that uh, Peter um, extended himself first among the disciples in doing things that were brave, things that were courageous, uh, things that were not brilliant. Uh, he said a lot of things that uh, were foolish, um, that he got reprimanded for by Jesus. 
But he spoke out. He led among the group. And uh, part of that, not so much out of a consciousness of leadership, but just because he was aware of himself and, and it extended himself wherever he went. There's two times of profession that are of faith that are recorded in the in the Gospels. In John chapter six, Simon Peter answered uh, Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of God. And in the text, it says that they're in the city of Capernaum. Um, there's another passage that's very similar to this, and we find it in Matthew chapter 16, in the one you're probably familiar with. Um, the disciples were gathered at a place at the bottom of Mount Hermon, a place called Caesarea Philippi. And it was there that uh, Jesus answered, asked the question, who do you say that I am or who do you think that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Speaking again, there was something, a sense in, in Peter's heart and mind he was responsive to, could hear from God. Uh, these are two professions of faith. They happen at the same time. Chronology, I can't even speak to you right now. In the chronology of the New Testament and the events of Jesus' life, they happen at the same time. But one's recorded in Capernaum, which is at the city at the top of the Sea of Galilee, and the others reported it. And they could have been two times when, when Simon made this profession of faith. But I just want you to know that he was among the first, always, to profess who Jesus is and to profess his faith and trust in him. And then you have... Um, um, after uh, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus and the day of Pentecost, it's Peter who, among all the apostles, stands up and speaks to the whole city of Jerusalem. <laughs> I don't know how you speak to the whole city, but to the great crowds that were there. And um, it says, but Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. And uh, he gave them basically a history of uh, Israel and God's relationship with Israel leading up to Jesus and his life and his death. Um, and uh, then it says in Acts 2, uh, 2, verse 37, Now when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So then, those who had received the word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. I give you these pictures of Abraham who trusted God against uh, impossibilities. With a promise that somehow through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And he believed God for it. Even to the point of sacrificing the one hope he had of having heirs. Offering his son Isaac. I'll look at David who, who, who used the skills of a shepherd in leading the country of, of uh, Israel. And following and trusting God in, in the face of all kinds of enemies. A man who was victorious and extended the land of Israel. And brought honor in, to God in his life. And then I, I look at Peter and I, and I say of uh, all the brash people, the one who had a heart to follow God, to trust and to believe and to profess, uh, and the one who was willing to do anything with Jesus. Peter uh, becomes a leader and the spokesman of the early church in, in the city of Jerusalem and into the whole region that was there. Three people who, who noble heroes. And then I read something about this. These three biblical heroes, Abraham, David, Peter, were all men who had feet of clay. Abraham, David, Peter, all have marks in their life that would destroy them, that would probably destroy any one of us. The image of feet of clay comes out of a... a the dream that Daniel interpreted. It's recorded in the book of Daniel. Uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, 
was pictured in this statue as being the head of gold. And uh, the statue had uh, breasts and its arms of silver and its belly and its thighs of bronze. And it was speaking of the kingdoms that would follow Babylon, the Persians who then conquered Babylon and the Greeks who then conquered the, the Persians. And then the Romans who came. That's the picture of the statue of history that was coming. That was the, the prophecy that was related to it. And the legs of iron, his feet partly iron and partly of clay. And they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. And so then the statue, you've got this gold and the silver and this bronze and legs of iron, but it's got feet of mixed iron and clay, meaning it's fragile and can't stand. And it was a picture of the kingdoms of this world. From that, we've got this phrase we use today. Uh, someone's got feet of clay. That means they don't they didn't have the character strength uh, or the moral character in their life to be able to stand. They had feet of clay. And what I wanted to show you is that these men of great nobility that I've been talking to you about, Abraham, David and Peter, all had feet of clay. Abraham, father of faith, number one, was disobedient from God from the go. God told him, don't take any relatives. And he took his nephew Lot. And when he traveled through what was the land of Canaan and because there was a famine, he went to Egypt. And while in Egypt, he was concerned because his wife, Sarah, was very beautiful, attractive. And he feared that the, the, the leaders of the Pharaoh of Egypt would kill him to take his wife. And so he offered Sarah to Pharaoh because he passed her off as his sister, which was a half truth. She was a half sister. Um, I can't give you all the relative relationships there, but there was a sister relationship, distant one in, in all of this. But he passed her off to Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh found out, he was really ticked. He was feared that the God of Abraham, that he had some respect for, might do something harmful to them. And so the Pharaoh chased Moses and his people and, and Sarah away. But here's, here's the father of faith, the courageous one who fears for his life and gives his wife to protect him. And then there's this promise that comes up that they had that through your seed, uh, Abraham, is going to come a son and many nations are going to come out of this. There's going to be a, a heritage that follows you here. And Sarah says, you know, I'm really old and I don't have I can't bear any kids. After all these years, we've not been able to produce any kids. Why don't you take my handmaid, uh, Hagar, here, and why don't you have relations with her and you produce a son uh, on inheritance uh, through him? And so he did. Not in, not in obedience, not in faith, not in trust that God was still going to do something after all these years. And Sarah gave birth to Ishmael, the forerunner of all the Arab kingdoms of our world. And I'm going, why did you do that, Abraham? And then in spite of all of that, shortly after Ishmael came, it's kind of like when you can't have kids and you adopt, what happens next? Uh, Sarah had a kid, Isaac, the promised one. And so all I'm just saying that this father of faith did, in fact, have feet of clay. And there was one more occasion in this. Um, uh, after all, even after uh, after uh, Ishmael was born, there was another issue with another king. And, and uh, Abraham again feared for his life and gave off Sarah to the king of uh, Abimelech. Same context that he did with, with, with Pharaoh. He didn't learn. So all I'm trying to say is this great man, father of faith, the friend of God, had feet of clay. David, a man after God's own heart. What did he do? When he was on top of the world, he conquered everything and his, his armies were doing everything and they're out in battle. And he's up on the rooftop and he looks over and there's this beautiful babe taking a, ba a bath down here. Happens to be the wife of one of his commanders. But he couldn't contain himself and he got her into his room and uh, and she ends up pregnant. 
And so to cover the pregnancy, he brings Uriah, the, the, her husband, back home and keeps him from the battle for a while to try to cover himself. Well, he's noble and won't spend any time with his wife because all of his men are out on the battlefield. So he is separate from his wife during this time. So David lost his cover. And so David arranged for Uriah to be at the front of the battle and have all the armies retreat from him and leave him in the front to be killed. This is the noble, mighty king of Israel. I'm telling you, it it makes me sick when somebody is noble, does what they do. But this is what happened with David. And that was the beginning of the end of the kingdom of, uh, of Israel. Kingdom divided again under Solomon, his son, and, and then there was nothing for 400 years. They were under other people's reign all those years. Peter, first among the disciples, makes the profession, I will die before anybody touches you, Jesus. Turns around a few minutes later, Jesus says, pray with me. And he falls asleep while he's praying. Jesus is arrested and taken to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest at the time there. And a kid, a little girl, comes up and says, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And she says, I never knew him. He said, I never knew him. He denies he even knows Jesus. The one who professes that he's the Christ, the Messiah, twice. The leader of the group of the apostles. And he's the one who denies he even knows Jesus because he fears for his life. Feet of clay. And interesting, Jesus is the one who then comes to Peter and calls him and asks him to love him and to serve him. I have three quick verses here for you. Romans 3, chapter 10. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. That's the condition of every human heart. Unless you think that missed you, you are included in every. Every human heart. Jeremiah recorded this. The heart in uh, Jeremiah 17. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Condition of the human heart. Mark records Jesus making a statement that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man, not what he does, but what comes out of him. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. So we're all susceptible I guess my statement is fleet of clay. That's all of us, but by the grace of God. So how then do I watch over my heart with all diligence? For from it flow the springs of life. The one cue to me is another one of those passages that's marked my life, and that is in, Mark, uh, in Luke chapter 9. If anyone wishes wishes to come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily. That isn't saying bury your burden. It means die. That's what happens on a cross. You die on a cross. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Do what he says. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? I said all this only simply to say there are noble men in our world and our lives, and all of them have feet of clay. And uh, yes, there is grief, there is disappointment, there's anger, there's resentment, there's I don't understand. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens when we discover there's feet of clay. But how do we respond to that? And I, uh, I would say God is just. And with the things that are unjust, there are consequences. God is merciful. And when there's injustice, there's reconciliation in him. 
And as you watch over your heart, I would say these things. Pursue God with all your heart. And you can check that out. What's your interest in reading the book? What's your interest in being here? What's your interest in being with other believers and talking about the Lord or sharing your life and, 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 and thinking, thinking the truths and being in fellowship and sharing that faith with others? What's, what's your level of interest? That's a, a clue to what you pursue. And own what's in your heart. If it's evil, own it. Take it to God and deal with it. Don't hide it. Don't nurture it. You can't hide anything from God. He knows the intents of your heart that you don't understand. He said, he said, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. Therefore, come boldly before the, the presence of God to receive grace and mercy to help in times of need. Hebrews 4.12. 16, the last part I gave you. Be repentant. Be responsive to God and what he tells you. Recognize your dependence on him. You don't have the ability to bring the change in your life that you need. Be expectant that God's going to do something as Abraham. God, you know, Abraham still believed and trusted in spite of his feet. <laughs> you know, it, God fulfilled himself, his promise to him, in spite of him. And I'd say, be with God in his word. That's a way to watch over your heart. And watch over each other. And you've already heard this passage together here. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. I've been caught. I've been as pastored uh, 18 years, 20 years all together there with uh, at Orange. Uh, been in this kind of verse text before. And I like this. This is you who are spiritual. Restore such a one. I'm going, ain't anybody here that's qualified. <laughs> and just about the time we think we are, we're not. You know, but somewhere in this, I walk with the humility that I walk in God. And, and I, I have his word, and I, I have to hold this up. And this is what judges me. It's not man. God judges me in all things. God encourages me in all things. It's a, uh, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one look into yourself so that you will not be tempted. Tempted to what? Be proud. Be righteous. Be tempted to do what they did. I don't know what the temptation is. They didn't qualify it. But carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will thus fulfill the law of Christ. So I, I leave you with these thoughts. I took you over. You're going to have to wait longer in line for lunch now. I want to apologize, but I don't. I do. But uh, as I understand, you have to put up with me again tomorrow, next Sunday. Uh, so if uh, I'll try to be I'll try to get you out on time next time. But uh, I, what I shared with you today, uh, just knowing the things that, uh, and I know about as much as any of you do. I just know that things are not well, and I know that there's a lot of things that you're feeling here. And I just know that uh, God knows, and this church is His, not yours. And you are His, and uh, He's got you. You can walk and trust Him in that. God always provides. Amen? But it's not something to be sad about. Honestly, as we started off, God is good. That doesn't mean just in the good times. It also means in the hard times. See these feet? Look down at your feet. As we always, I always said in the elders' meetings, we're in the trenches. We're shoulder to shoulder. We're all equal. We just do different jobs than what God calls us to do. But in the end of it all, God is good. All the time. And when God sees a need, He takes care of it. We have a need. Guess what? God took care of it. 
Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we bless your name today, Father God. We know that you are faithful, Father. We know that you provide exactly what you know that we need, even when we don't think we need it. Lord, I know that every person that is here today has been ministered to, Father. Every person that is here today has received your word, Father God. And I beg of you, Father, that you do not let that word just sit, soak, and sour, Father. Let it germinate in our hearts, Father God. Let it become a reality in our lives, Father. So that we can put our faith into action for you, Father God. Not just sitting down, rolling over and taking it, Father. Crawling into a little dark hole, Father. But no, standing up, shining your light, Father God. And ultimately giving you the glory, Father. Because that's what you called us to do. That's what you've made us to do, is to turn every blessing down that you've given to us and give it to you in glory, Father. Give you the honor. Give you the exaltation, Father God. Lord, I ask that you keep it in the forefront of our minds that we are less than dirt. We are nothing, Father God. But with you, and with you alone, Father God, Wow. There is no limit to what you can do with us, Father. Lord, we bless your name today, Father God. We thank you because you have spoken to us. You've spoken to this church. You've spoken to your congregation, Father. You've spoken to each and every family that is represented here in this house today, Father. Lord, what we do with it Well, I pray that you give us the strength to turn it back to praise to you, Father. We bless your name as a church. And we wait in faith and hope in you, Father. These are, this is our heart's cry, Father God. This is our longing. This is what we have. And we lay it down at your feet. And God's people say, Amen. Well, enjoy your lunch. Enjoy the fellowship. And don't forget, we do have a meeting today in the uh, uh, conference room. So please, uh, please join us. Have a good day.